Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word. They got that right too. That they're eagerly waiting for the return of Jesus, for the second coming, for Christ's return. That's so important for believers. That we understand biblical prophecy, that we understand What's our position before God? And he says that you guys got it. You guys are eagerly awaiting his return. Way back then, they understood that that was the proper position of the church was to be waiting for his return. He's coming back for us. And we don't know when, so we're to live ready. They were eagerly waiting. They just weren't living ready. Despite the long list of grievances Paul had for the church in Corinthian, there were a few positives. As Pastor Bill shares in today's message, a good Christian eagerly awaits the Lord's return. While you do kingdom work on earth, you should also have the mindset that Christ will return any day. Live each day bringing glory to the Lord as if it may be your last. Watch out for feelings of indifference or boredom while waiting. You should specifically be waiting with great anticipation. Now, here's Pastor Bill in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 1 for today's edition of A Transforming Word. Look at verse 4 now. Verses 4 through 9, Paul speaks to them about some of the positives that he sees. He says, I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given to you by Christ Jesus. That was interesting to me because I've been reading through the whole book and I know all the junk that he's about to say. But Paul says, and he's not lying, he says this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to this carnal group of believers that he's got to write this whole bunch of corrections to. He says, you know what I do? I thank my God always concerning you. And he says, not for y'all, for the grace of God, which was given to you by Christ Jesus. Paul said, when I, when I look at y'all mess ups, I'm, I thank God for his grace for you guys. I thank God that you don't have to earn it. Because y'all wouldn't make it, you know. And I think Paul is looking at them saying, as I look at this really messed up group, I am so thankful that God is gracious. I'm so thankful for the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ for you guys. And I just want to point out, I was like, what's he going to thank God for, for this group? The first thing I do, I thank God that he's gracious. And I know sometimes as believers, we can look at those that are messing up and kind of want them to get it. I want God to get them. God, get them. Make them do right. Teach them a lesson. And the heart of Paul, Paul, you know what I am? I'm so, I thank God when I think of you guys, how messed up you are. He don't say that, but that's what we know when we read the rest. I thank God that for his grace towards you guys, that he's gracious. Have you ever thanked God for his grace towards some carnal, messed up Christian in your life? Just a thought. Paul does. Paul's like, I thank God that he's gracious because I'm looking at what you are and I know that you need his grace is needed. And most of y'all can look in the mirror and be thankful that God is gracious too. So we forget about it when it's us. But, you know, we, we, we thank God for his grace toward us, too. Verse five, he continues that you were enriched in everything by him in all utterance and knowledge and all knowledge. So Paul recognizes that you guys have been enriched by God and, and gifts. When he talks uttering, he's speaking of some of the gifts, the, the Corinthian church. There's going to be a lot of correction that goes out. They were very into the, the audible gifts. Tongues and prophecies and those things. And how, how Paul later on said, how is it that when you, all you guys come together, everybody has a tongue and everybody have a prophecy, everybody have a word. He said, man, look, he put some restrictions on there. He said, look, one or two at the most. If you're going to speak in a tongue, do it with an interpreter. You know, if you're going to prophesy, you know, this many, that's it. He said, everybody got something they want to say and share. And what ends up happening is it becomes about them. 
You know, you come together. It's like, I got a word. I got a word. Forget about her word. My word. And, and it becomes a car. The gifts are being functioned in a way that's carnal. So it's interesting in the section that deals with gifts, chapter 12 and chapter 14, sandwiched in between those two chapters is this thing on love. Where he says, it doesn't matter if you have the gift, whatever gift, you speak with the, the tongues of men and angels. If you have not love, you are just a clanging symbol, making noise but doing nothing. And you're making annoying noise because symbols are annoying noise if you ever heard them. So anyway, that's what Paul gets to that later on. But he says here, you guys are gifted. That you guys of all utterance and all knowledge, verse 6, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that you come short. So acknowledging, I know you guys are saved. The testimony of Christ is confirmed among you guys. His is so that you come short in no gift. You guys don't come short in any area of gifts. You guys got it. Gifts, no, no shortness in the gifts. And then he says this, eagerly waiting for the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. They got that right too. That they're eagerly waiting for the return of Jesus, for the second coming, for Christ's return. That's so important for believers. That we understand biblical prophecy, that we understand what's our position before God. And he says that you guys got it. You guys are eagerly awaiting his return. Way back then, they understood that that was the proper position of the church was to be waiting for his return. He's coming back for us. And we don't know when to where to live ready. They were eagerly waiting. They just weren't living ready. Be careful of so many opinions and views and doctrines that would say, you know, you don't have to, you don't eagerly wait for the Lord's return. We just, we just kind of leisurely wait you know it'll be later you know we know that the lord can come back at any moment that's how he wants us to live god wants us to live in such a way that if he came back today right i don't get to get ready i gotta what you gotta be ready you don't get to you don't get to get ready like the lord can come back now right I, before we get done with this message are you ready that's how we're supposed to be living that he can come back at any moment the the parables jesus gave he said hey the master went away and he left and he left them with you know what they were to do and he came back at an unannounced time they didn't know when he was coming back when he showed up the faithful servants were doing what faithful servants do and they were rewarded the wicked servants said this is the attitude of the wicked servant he said in his mind or his heart my master delays his coming and what did that lead to him eating and drinking getting drunk and beating the male and female servants him living wrong the mindset that said, ah, he's not coming right now, left him in a place of living wrong. God said, live ready, right? And then Peter says, the one that has this hope in himself purifies himself, even as he is pure, has the hope that the Lord's return is coming. So this group had that. They were eagerly waiting for the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you have that? In your heart of hearts, are you eagerly awaiting for the return of Jesus? Do you know that it's it's imminent? It can happen at any moment. There's, there's nothing else that needs to be fulfilled prophetically for Jesus to return, the rapturous church, for us to be taken up. There's nothing else that needs to happen. That we're there right now. Everything has been fulfilled. Nothing else needs to happen. He could come back at any moment. We're to live, prepare for that. And it should motivate our our energy and service and everything else. Like, man, the Lord can come back. I, I don't know how much time I get to serve and work before this is all over. Before the Lord comes back and before I die. So every day is my opportunity right now. My opportunity to serve the Lord, to store treasure in heaven, to do things for him is right now. At death, it's over. It runs out. I'm going to heaven. But at death, my opportunity to store treasure in heaven ends. At rapture, my opportunity to store treasure in heaven ends. I, I got every day until then to do so. And so for those of us that have gotten beyond the fear of hell and we know that we're going to heaven, great. 
Praise God. That's the awesome peace to know that my sins are forgiven, that I'm right with God. And then now we have something to look forward to. God, I have the opportunity every day of the rest of my life to serve you and to store treasure in heaven and eternity where I'm going to spend eternity with you. And so we do want to be careful not to be busy about things that don't matter and slothful about the things that do. We can get so preoccupied with things that they have no bearing in the kingdom of God. They don't matter to God basically. And then we could put so little effort and so little energy into the things that God said. That's what I care about. That's what I want. But you want to be balanced. I'm not saying that you're, you know, you wouldn't ever do anything, you know, in leisure or whatever. I'm just saying if that's characterizes your whole life, if your whole life is leisure or your whole life is for you. And there's on the scale of you weighed out. What do I do for eternity? There's nothing. You want to fix that. That's not a healthy place to be. You can be. You, I mean, you can spend all your energy and effort working to store things down here, but you're only going to be here for this lifetime. Eternity is forever. That's a long time, <laughs> ever. I mean, I just it, sometimes you just need to meditate on that. What does forever look like? Because I'm old. I feel old now. I just, I turned forty. I feel like I've been here a long time. So I'm looking back at little pictures, like, man, I've been here a long time. People in heaven is like, what? <laughs> that's, that's, that's not even a weekend in heaven. You know, it's like nothing. You know, my, my whole life is nothing. You know, the, the Lord says to him a day, like a thousand years, a thousand years. Like when you enter into eternity, boom, it's like nothing. You know, that's where I'm going to be forever. So I got to be careful about storing everything up down here. I'm only going to be here for a, a blip. James says this life, it's like a, he's like, it's like a, a vapor. Light a match and it goes flames up. And then as soon as it goes up, it goes whoo, back down and it goes out. Because that's what your life is, but a vapor. So don't invest in it that much. Don't invest everything in the vapor. God says, store it in heaven. Send it up ahead before you. And so again, they had that right. That was a commendation. They were eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 8, who will also confirm you to the end that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. So he's going to confirm you all the way to the end. That's another encouraging thing that we know from Philippians 1, 6, that we can be confident of this very thing that he who began a good work in us, faithful to complete it to the day of Jesus Christ. Philippians 1, 6, you guys are writing. He begun the good work. He's going to complete it. He's going to bring it to completion. He's going to bring the work he began in us all the way to the end. And so thankfully, God is the one, his, his energy. He's the one that's doing the work to bring it to pass. I'm thankful for that. God didn't say, you know, you know. I'm going to make you do. He said, I started the work in you. I'm going to bring it to completion. But you are going to comply or it's going to be rough. And so some of you guys are, God's doing the work. But some of y'all, God keep having to tear it down and rebuild it. And tear it down and rebuild it again. You know, you want to get to the point where you, you let them get the walls up. man, Get the roof on. You know, let, let God do the work. He's the one doing the work. But we have to be yielded to the process that he might, the work, the work might move forward in our lives. Again, that he would confirm us to the end. Also reminds me of Jude. I love this verse in Jude 24. It says, now unto him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. And he says, to him who's able to present you faultless. I mean, just think about that. That's, that's everybody here. Think about the fact that one day the, Jesus is going to present you faultless. And everybody here know you got faults, Right. Man, you don't have this. I mean, we all know it. I got faults. You got faults. We got faults. It's one thing we know we got. But God's going to present you. Jesus is going to present you and me faultless before the throne. That's amazing. That's a wonderful thing. That's a great 
promise to me, you know, that I, I get to be presented faultless one day because of what Jesus did for me. And he's reminding them of that. And I, again, I want to point it out. Paul's getting ready to have to say some difficult things to this church. He's not mad at them. He loves them. And he opens up just saying, let me, let me get the positives I can get out. Let me tell you guys the things that I see that are great. And it ends at verse eight. So who will confirm you to the end that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then the last thing in verse nine, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And he reminds them, the one that's going to bring the work to completion, the one that's doing the work, the one that's doing it is Jesus. And he is faithful. One of the characteristics of Jesus to us, you guys, he's faithful. And for all of us here that know that there have been times where you've been unfaithful to him, isn't it awesome to know that he's still faithful to us? Even when I've been unfaithful, he's still faithful to me. Even when I, I mess up and I, I fail or I fall short, I'm not faithful to God. He's still faithful to me. He still keeps his promises. He still keeps his words. That's a very comforting thing for the believer. So it's not my energy. It's not my effort. It's not my goodness. It's not my holiness. It's not. It's him. It's his faithfulness. The strength is in him. The forgiveness comes through him. The grace came from him. The, the one that's going to complete the work, it all flows through him. Everything great about the Christian experience points us right back to who? To Jesus. That we're recipients of such a great gift, such a great grace. That's why believers should be some of the most thankful people on the planet. We have so much to be thankful for. Just looking at what God has done for us. And so switching gears now, starting in verse 10, Paul deals with the issues. Interesting, the first issue Paul deals with is it's, it's a big deal. And it's something that is it characterizes a lot of the church today. And we know that it's a characteristic of the enemy and this division. And so the very first thing that Paul says, man, this is a what's the first thing on the this is on the front burner of my mind as I write this letter to you guys. And I got to start bringing the corrections that y'all are divided. How does a group that's so gifted with all the spiritual gifts? How does a group of people with all these gifts? They got they have bound and they got prophecy and tongues and knowledge and wisdom and all these spiritual gifts. How does a group like that end up needing to be corrected for being divisive? Um, and again, I would just point out that all the gifts of the Holy Spirit don't equal the fruit. I, I say that to you guys all the time, that the fruit is the big deal. What's the evidence that you're filled with the Holy Spirit, that you have the fruit of the Spirit in your life? That, 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 that your life be characterized by the fruits, the love, the joy, the gentleness, the patience, the self-control, all the things that, that your life be characterized by those things. That's more of an evidence than a gift. Because we're going to learn in Corinthians that these are some really gifted people. We learned in Romans eleven twenty nine that the gifts and callings of God are irrevocable. So you got some super carnal person that's gifted. They can still pull a prophecy out. That blows me away. But you look back in your Bible and Jonah wasn't exactly living strong when God was speaking through him. He wasn't exactly, uh, you know, uh, uh, I mean, I, I look at his life beginning to end. and I'm like, I don't understand why God used him. But he did. You know, you look back at some of the other people, the gifts are, they're great and they do enrich a body. If you can get the combination of fruit and gifts, have a banging church. Get a group that's yielded to the spirit in a, such a way that they, the fruits of the spirit abound in that, 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 that gathering, that body. And there's genuineness and love and gentleness and patience with one another. And it all comes through. And the fruit is just abounding. Get a group that's living like that, that also is open to the gifts and flowing in the gifts, you, you really could get some things done. That, that'd be an awesome, that's, that's a goal. 
that you can have both. That's, I think, why Paul is speaking. Paul said, man, you guys are not held up at all with the gifts. If we can correct this other stuff, to be a great church, be a great, in, 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 in an area that needs a great church, because Corinth was really messed up. So first issue out the gate, look at verse 10. He says, now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. So first of all, Paul opens, he says, I'm pleading with you guys. Is he judging them? Is he being mean to them? Is he speaking down? He's not plead. I'm begging you. I'm, I'm pleading with you guys. And he says, I, I plead with you guys by the name of the Lord Jesus. Paul says, what I'm asking you is it's not just for me. What I'm pleading with you to do is what I know Jesus wants. I'm pleading with you guys in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Are there things that God would be pleading with you to do or not do anymore through Jesus Christ? That God doesn't want you to do these things. It's not just a man saying stop. Maybe a man or a woman saying stop, but it's connected to Jesus. It's the will of God. God would have you to stop that. Paul says, I, want you to, I don't want you to get caught up looking at me, the man, Paul. So I'm, I'm pleading with you guys through the Lord Jesus Christ. Would you see him? Would you see that this thing that I'm requesting of you, that I'm calling you to, is what he wants? Not just what I want. God doesn't want his body divided. He wants there to be unity in his body. And it's important. It's one of the things, one of the ways that Satan gets in and kind of infects a work of God is through division. And I want to talk about a few ways that division gets in. But the first thing he says to them, that you all speak the same thing and that there be no divisions. The first thing is that we all speak the same thing. How do we get there? We saw the same thing in Romans, in Numbers, as there was division that arose. And every time you see division arise, the work stops. They were just getting ready to take their first steps into the promised land and get moving forward. And boom, division arose. The work stopped. Now we got to deal with the division and punish the people that got to be punished and fix it all back up. And then we can get going again. We saw that in Acts. The church in Acts was just, we're going. They were doing so much. They were turning the world right side up. And then there began to be divisions among them. The doctrinal divisions, you know, the Judaizers coming and saying, adding to the gospel what you got to do to be saved. And so they had to stop the work, call in the apostles, have a big council meeting and finally clear up what exactly you have to do to be saved. Then they got back to the work. But division brings the work to a halt. And so one of the reasons why Satan wants to bring division to a church, because the work will come to a halt, because instead of us looking outward, Instead of us burning inside saying, I, I saw these people over there and they need help. And I saw this group over here. What can we do to help them? And, and, and can we take the God? Instead of us being of that mind, which is like, man, we come together, we burn together, we're encouraged together. And we start looking outward. We'll be inside here saying, did you hear what she said? Did you hear? He said that about me. Okay. And, and that'll, that'll be us just tearing each other up. And God said, don't do that. I want to say this because I know some people are more prone to this. Who are people that are prone to cause division? I'm not picking on any particular gender. I know anybody could do it. So those that gossip and those that like to hear gossip. Some people love to gossip. They just got loose lips. And I mean, you they hear any ounce of something that might happen. Ooh, just, just, just juicy, tender, fiddle. They got to call somebody now. Um, some of you guys, that's, you got that problem. You like, you know it. You know it. You just, you're laughing right now, but you know that you get a juicy bit. And you're like, ooh. As soon as somebody else called, oh, 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 wasn't gonna, oh, Christians do it. They couch it in prayer. You know, we need to really pray for such and such. I just heard that. I mean, we just, you know. So once I get done with all my gossip, let's pray. That makes it all better. You know, this is not right. You know, right? That, but that's how Christians do it. You know, so 
that's one way that division happens because if, you know, as we share information that maybe doesn't need to be shared, then someone else's weaker opinion about someone else changes and I call, we call it division. I was mindful of this when I worked at the last church I worked at, that my wife is, my wife got my back. My wife loves me and she's supposed to. So I had to be careful when there were, you know, you, you, you do enough church work and there'll be people that don't like you and somebody did something to you and said something to you. And I made it a rule that I would never tell her when somebody did me wrong because I did it one time. And I realized that by the time I was over it, she wasn't over it. She was like, don't trust him never again. Nope. Nope. <laughs> and I was like, I, and I realized I did that. Like I did that. You know, I created that and I can't do that. So when I have personal gripes and beefs, I don't tell her because I don't want to spread division. Right. That was our church. Like she don't need to know. It doesn't help her to know. It doesn't benefit her to know. So it's not necessary. So, you know, that's one way division gets just people that like sharing information about other people. You find out some dirt and you like, oh, how, how do we pray about this one? You, you could have prayed by yourself for them. But no, you had to go on the group prayer and tell everybody. So be, that's one way. Be careful. But then also, if you're someone that you like to hear it, your ears are like trash cans. They know that they can call you and, and dump off. You know, you got to be at a place. You got to have enough discipline to say, hey, why, we shouldn't be talking about that. I don't want to talk about them like that. I don't I don't want to I don't want to go any further in that discussion. I don't feel good. I don't the spirit of God has told me stop. You know, I you just stop. Let's don't go any further. We shouldn't be talking about. They're not here. This isn't edifying. It won't help them. You can go pray by yourself. Some of us need to have that discipline. Put your friends in check. You know, because it's your fault that they call you. They call you, they're like, I know she want to hear it. And then you, you got your, you, they know your phone got three more people to call to tell. So that's one way division happens. Another way is that we're unique people. And in a group like this, there are people that I know better than others. People that maybe are closer to me than other people and everybody else has the same thing. That's the way, that's human nature. So if, you know, my little bubble over here of friends that are closer to me, somebody in a bubble over there that's not as close as the guys over here are close to me and someone over there does something wrong to me and I tell this group right here. Well, now I've, I've infected all of them toward that one person because I got access to them. They're close to me. And so now I've infected them towards, but we're all part of the same body. That's not a win. That's a loss. We lose. We lose. If I, if I divide five of them against one of them, we're losing momentum as a movement of God because now instead of there being this, just overflowing with love and concern and, and concern for one another, we got, we're divided. It happens doctrinally. And this is probably a bigger one where it happens. And I think it was, it was definitely one that was happening a lot of times back here, uh, doctrinal divisions. And what I've seen is doctrinal division happens a few different ways. One, you have people that don't study but speak. There are people that don't take the time or put in the work to study, but they hold strong convictions and will speak them and speak them divisively. No, I disagree with that. Okay, why do you disagree? Because I believe this. Why do you believe that? Where'd you get that from? That's, that's what I believe. I ain't asked you why. Where'd you get that from? Did you study? Did you look up the words? Did you get into it? Nope, but I just, that's what I believe. That's where I came from. And that's division. That's how division happens. Someone that didn't study, won't, won't, won't put in the effort to study, but will put in the effort to argue. Doctrinal division happens in a body. It also happens like this. When we hold the word of man in too high of an esteem. When Paul went to the church in Berea and he's Paul the apostle and he spoke and they heard him gladly and they took notes and they said, we're going to check these things out. Check you out, Paul. See about what you had to say. And Paul said, hey, man, you know what? 
the believers in Berea were more noble than everywhere else because they didn't just take my word for it. They took my word. and They went and studied for themselves. That's an admirable thing. But what some people do is they'll take the word of a man, never go look it up for themselves because they hold the man in such high esteem that my bishop said, well, I, no, Pastor Sutton such said, and he's on TV. He has to be right. <laughs> my goodness, you know, if you believe that, you know, so that's another thing. So you can hold the word of man in such high esteem that you don't even bother to check it out. So now you're holding a strong opinion and now the body's not saying the same thing. That's all we have time for today on A Transforming Word. Pastor Bill has been teaching through the book of 1 Corinthians. This book addresses the idea of confronting sin. Paul knew it was more important to hit the issue head on rather than skirt around it for the sake of being approved of by the majority. This is a hard thing to do when you know that tough issues will cause disruption in a church or even a breach in relationship. But what matters most, pleasing God or pleasing man, is something to keep in mind as you continue to study this New Testament book. Can we encourage you as you strive to walk out a life of faith, even when it's unpopular? Call or send a text to 310-245-4811. That's 310-245-4811. We'd love to meet you. Do you live in the Inglewood area? Then come join us for worship this weekend. You can get service times and location information at calvaryinglewood.org. You can even find links to stream our services if you're not able to be with us in person. And you can catch up on previous messages online. That website again is calvaryinglewood.org. As we come to the end of our time with you today, we want you to know that we're grateful to have you as part of our listening audience. Would you join us in praying for others who are tuning in and may be hearing about Jesus for the first time? Pray that their hearts will be open to truth and change. Thanks for praying and thanks for joining us on A Transforming Word.